Those of you who are new to Grace Point, welcome. My name is Tim. Uh, I get the privilege of being a lead pastor here. And um, I want you to know most of the time we will teach through series, which just means I take an idea or um, a Bible passage or a book and I just talk about it for as long as I can and get bored of it and we move to something different. Um, we're actually going to start one of those next week uh, through the encouraging, loving book of Judges in the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> So hope you come back for that next week. But today is just, a, it's a one-off. It's a standalone um, because every now and then we just need to kind of get away and step back from our regularly scheduled programming and talk about um, where we're at as a church, where we're going and what all of that means for us. Um, and on top of that, uh, there are a lot of folks that are new or new-ish to Grace Point over the last couple of weeks, months, years. Um, and I just want you to know what you're getting yourself into if you decide to stay around here. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go in that direction um, today. Um, and to start us off, uh, I will tell you a story about um, a story that I heard years ago from a gentleman named Dan Cathy, who was actually the CEO of Chick-fil-A at the time. But he was telling the story about his dad, Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A. Um, this happened back um, in the last century, um, a little time called the 1990s, um, where uh, Chick-fil-A's main competitor at the time was a company called Boston Chicken, um, actually became Boston Market. Um, but Boston Chicken had, goal, had a goal of becoming a billion dollars in sales by the year 2000. And Chick-fil-A got wind of this, and they got a little nervous about that, so they started putting their heads together, okay, how do we make sure that we can compete uh, with Boston Chicken? And um, this all culminated in a board meeting at Chick-fil-A headquarters, and all the VPs, all the sales guys, all the PR guys, everybody was there, and they're going back and forth on how do we, how do we get bigger? How do we get more stores? How do we get our name a little bit more, uh, the brand recognition, all that stuff that, that companies have to do to get, to get bigger. Um, and Dan Cathy tells this story about they're in this boardroom, and I don't know how big it was. I don't know how many people were there. But his dad, Truett Cathy, is just sitting at the end of the boardroom table, and he's not even engaged He's not talking with anybody. He's not, he's not even really listening to the conversation. And at one point during the conversation, when there's multiple people talking and multiple ideas, Dan Cathy says his dad just started pounding the boardroom table. And when he did that, the room went silent. And it's like a tennis match, right? Whenever the ball goes that way, the whole audience goes that way. And everybody around that boardroom table looks at Truett Cathy. And Dan, his, his son says, it was in that moment my dad said, gentlemen, I'm sick and tired of hearing us talk about how to get bigger. And he paused. He said, what we need to be talking about is how we get better. Because when we get better, our customers will demand we get bigger. And that entire, that little 10, 15 second conversation shifted all of the conversation. It shifted the entire conversation at Chick-fil-A. And in the year 2000, you can Google this, Boston Chicken or Boston Market filed for bankruptcy and Chick-fil-A hit a billion dollars in sales for the first time in their, in, in their history, which is what happens when you sell sanctified chicken, right? <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I tell you that story because that's, 
the, the, the whole idea of better before bigger, it's a great mantra for businesses. It's a great mantra for, for what it looks like to compete against um, you know, other, other companies that are in your same sphere. But there's something for us to learn as a church as well. The whole idea of better before bigger. I, I just, I just want to tell you, like we have never, at least in the history of, of me being the lead pastor, we've never really talked about or strategized or even really prayed about a strategy for how to get bigger. That's never been our goal. But we have talked about and we have strategized around. We have prayed about what it looks like for us to get better as a church. What does, that, what does that look like? What does that even mean? And so um, one of the things as a church leader, like I, I don't get to decide what it looks like for a church to be better because our leader and founder and the one who sustains the church already decided what it looks like for a church to be the best church that they can be. And so I want to talk about that today. There's two things that, that I think Jesus talked about, that Jesus put out there, that gives us a little bit of the basis for what it looks like for a church to be the best church that we can be. And I also need to say this. Like, this is not, I, I just want to be clear, this is not a competition between us and other churches, Amen. right? Like, it's not about being better than the church down the road. Because what, 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 is, what does better even mean for churches? Is it about size? Is a bigger church a better church than a smaller church? Is it about the programming? I sure hope it's not about the preacher, <laughs> right? Like, what, is it, what does that even mean? So it's not, it's not about competition with other churches. But as we evaluate, and as we talk about it, as we plan, I, I often will ask the question, how do we make it better? How do we be the very best church we're supposed to be? And I think Jesus said two things that serves kind of as the foundation for what it looks like to be the best church that we can be. So we're going to look at those today. And I want to tell you just a couple things that are coming up in the next um, season of ministry for us as a church that, that we think will help us um, be better or be the best church that we can be. So the first one is found in Matthew 16, if you want to find that in your Bible or mobile device. Um, in Matthew 16, um, this is one of the stops that I got to go to um, whenever we went to Israel. Um, Jesus is talking with his closest followers. So uh, the, the 12 inner circle of, of, of disciples, and Jesus asks them a question that you should never ask your inner circle. Jesus asked them, hey guys, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? You should never ask that question, right? Because nobody's talking about you on the street. Nobody's talking about me on the street. And, and they get into this conversation. People are saying some pretty incredible stuff about Jesus. Some people thought he was an Old Testament prophet, come back to life. Some people thought he was like another John the Baptist, just some just un unbelievable things. And they said, okay, that's great. What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter pipes up. This was one of Simon's better days. Here's what he said. Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Literally, you're the anointed one of God. You're the Christ. And Jesus replied to Simon, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, what Simon just said, was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father, in heaven. In other words, I, I, I don't know if this is how, what Jesus was thinking, but I kind of think 
Simon, I know you well enough to know like, you're not smart enough to come up with that on your own. Like God told you that. God revealed that to you. Which means Jesus believed that God spoke to people. That God communicated with people. Verse 18, here's the kind of the first litmus test for us as a church. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, which for thousands of years has been debated. Is he talking about Peter or is he talking about the statement Peter just made? I believe it was the statement that Peter just made. On this rock, I, Jesus, will build, future tense, my, as in it belongs to me, church, my congregation, my assembly, my gathering. It had nothing to do with a building. It had nothing to do with a worship service when Jesus said this. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus said he was going to build this gathering of people. And the foundation of that gathering wasn't really going to be what he taught or what he did or even what those guys wrote down later for us to read. That the foundation of this thing that Jesus was going to build was actually Jesus. The, 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 the fact that Jesus is the Christ the anointed one, the unique son of God, his identity is the foundation of the church. And, and for added emphasis, he adds, and the gates of Hades or death, or maybe your translation says hell, will not overcome it. Which meant when Jesus died or when Peter died or when Matthew died or John, the rest of the disciples died, his church wouldn't because death can't even stop what Jesus was going to build. And I've said, you this, I've said this before. Here we are, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world. They didn't even know what America was then. What's a, what's a Topeka, right? They had no idea that we even existed. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, gathering in Jesus' name. We, I've said this before, we are part of the fulfillment of what Jesus said that day. You and I, we're a part of what Jesus started to build 2,000 years ago. When I think of a local church that's doing the best they can, trying to be better, the first thing, this is, this is ground zero, the first thing it has to do is make sure it's gathering around the identity of Jesus. That is the rock-solid foundation. A church that's being the best they can says, as uncomfortable as some people might find it, can, can we just leave the Jesus part out? As far-fetched as it might seem, do you, you really believe he came back from the dead? As, as, as offensive as it might be in today's culture, the foundation of everything we do and teach and organize, organize ourselves around is the person, it's the identity of Jesus Christ. We don't believe he just came from God. He didn't just speak for God. We didn't, don't think he was simply a good moral teacher. We agree with Peter. We believe he is the unique Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus said that idea is the rock solid foundation of his church and nothing, not even death, would stop it. That's the first one. 
The other thing we take our cue from, something that Jesus said at the end of his earthly ministry, you know it is the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28. Hundreds and hundreds of people gather around Jesus, including his closest disciples. And when he says this, you know it by heart, therefore go, or as you go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't want them to stay there in Jerusalem, the hub of Judaism, the, the, the heart of Judaism, where they were most comfortable. He wanted them to go everywhere, starting in Jerusalem, go everywhere to every people group, to anybody and everybody who's willing to listen, that they have an opportunity they have an opportunity to discover who Jesus was and willingly choose to trust him, to willingly choose to follow him, to pick up their cross daily and follow Jesus. But he's not done. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which means identifying them publicly in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus put himself equal with the Father and the Spirit in this moment which made people uncomfortable back in that day, and it still makes people a little bit uncomfortable today. But Jesus is saying, he was clear, when people publicly identify with this, this gathering, this assembly, this congregation that I'm building, that's founded on me, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that there is a Trinitarian feel to what we do as a church. It's built upon, it's built with that in mind. And then verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the, of the age. He didn't just want us to teach people about Jesus. He wants us to teach them to live their lives the way that he taught the disciples to live. But that I want you to teach the next generation of disciples to love one another the way I've loved you. I want you to teach the next generation of disciples to be generous to the poor, to take care of widows and orphans, to embrace messy people the way I've embraced you, Peter. The way that, that I've embraced you, Matthew, with all your intricacies, with all your detail, with all that stuff. I want you to embrace people like that, like you, the way I've embraced you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And when you do that, when you make disciples, when you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, when you teach them everything that I've taught you to obey, I will be with you. I will surely be with you even to the end of the age. So we've just decided if we're going to get better as a church, we need to get better at that. We need to get better at making disciples, at teaching everybody that we come into contact to obey everything that Jesus said. We think great churches are great at those two things. Number one, we'll never shy away from the idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we are going to get, we're, we're not going to give up on that or the, any of the implications of that, because there's lots of implications to that. And number two, we're not going to give up on our desire to help people follow, believe, and obey Jesus. That, that I, I agree with Tim Keller. We want people to know they're a worse sinner than they even realize. But Jesus is a better savior than they can imagine. We want people to know that, which means we're never going to be content to simply fill seats and have services. We're never going to be content to get to us just to, let's get to a certain size and just sit back and coast. We decided we can't do that. Jesus was too clear. He wants us to go even to the places and to the people we're uncomfortable with 
Start here, but go. So our mission statement, you hear it every single week, but our mission statement finds its genesis in those two things. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus by creating environments where life change can happen. That we're trying to influence, we're trying to engage with people to help them grow. That, that disciples grow. They change, they're always learning, they never arrive. There's always morphing, there's always learning, there's always obedience to do. It's a growing relationship, not a checklist of rules, not a religious system, not a, not a okay, a, 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 an exchange of religious goods and services. It's this dynamic, personal relationship with Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And to answer the how we do that, the best way that we can think of doing it is to create environments. Sometimes they're, they're relational environments. Sometimes they're actually physical environments to engage with kids and teenagers and adults who, and, and to, that they want to be a part of those environments. And while they're in those environments, we plan and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work in such a way that they'd experience some kind of life change. I've said this before as well. It's kind of an unofficial way to think about it. We can't make people fall in love with Jesus, but we can arrange the first date. Right? We can, we can put people in environments where they're with other Christians, where they're with other disciples, and they can be discipled. They can grow in their relationship. We can't force people to follow Jesus. We can't force them to grow in their relationship. We can't force anybody to believe anything. Jesus doesn't even do that. But we can develop intentional relationships. We can be in the kind of environments with friends and family and neighbors and coworkers for the purpose of introducing them, of loving them, of serving them, of accepting them and leading them to Jesus. And, and I know you don't get to sit in the same seat as I do. You don't get to hear the same stories I do, but I just want you to know this is happening. Like we are accomplishing our mission. Sometimes it's in small ways. Sometimes it's in medium-sized ways. Sometimes it's in really big ways. Some of you, like this is your story. You're kind of the poster child for our mission as a church, because you, you would say you were far from God or you were confused about it. Maybe you were burned by the church. Maybe you went to, to church until you were in college because your parents made you, but in college, you started to drift. Or maybe you got sick or maybe you got COVID and you got out of the routine and you just, you just stopped going, whatever it was. And somebody invited you to one of our environments, to something that has to do with Grace Point, and you didn't believe everything that you heard. You didn't believe everything I said. You were pretty skeptical about anything that I said or, or what was said there. You weren't so sure about the music. Your kids weren't so sure about going down to the dungeon, into the basement, you know, whatever it is. There's all kinds of things you weren't so, so sure about. But there was something different. People seemed generally interested in you. You felt accepted. You felt, you felt this love. In fact, some of you have heard this story before. Some of you saw some people from work that were way worse sinners than you. <laughs> yeah. And you thought, well, they can come to church here. I can come to church here. I've heard that story before. Even though you didn't buy into everything we believed, you experienced something. And it started to change you. 
And I think that's how the local church should be. I think that's how every local church should be. That, that you've heard me say this before. I can't say it enough. People who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. The people who thought if he only knew. <laughs> the people who thought there's no way he's accepting me. There's no way I'm good enough. Those were the kinds of people that Jesus liked. And they liked Jesus. And to the best of our ability, we want to reflect the nature and the character of Jesus because we think that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not about size. It's not about programming. It's never been about that. It's always been about figuring out how to connect or reconnect people to God through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've done that as a church. You've done that. You've created the kind of church that people who are far from God, they're unchurched or they're de-churched, they, they, you've captured their attention. And as a, as a result, over the last 15, 20 years, hundreds of people have reconnected or connected with Jesus for the first time. Dozens of people have been baptized. Hundreds of kids and teenagers are hearing about Jesus on a weekly basis. You've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions and organizations and missionaries all around the world. Hundreds of pounds of food and school supplies, clothing given away. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of service all over this city, all in the name of Jesus, because that's part of obeying everything he taught us to do. It's, it, it's what great churches do. Not big churches, not cool churches. It's what great churches, every church that's committed to these two things, that's what they do. But <laughs> we're not done yet, right? Like last time I checked, which was just a second ago, Jesus hadn't returned to establish the kingdom. So we still have work to do. There are still things for us to do. So, I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about a couple of those things that, that we're going to do as a church over the next couple weeks, months, years that we think will continue to help us be the best church that we can possibly be. Okay, First thing is this. You've, you've heard me allude to this a few times since May. Um, you may have heard some of the pastoral staff talk about this if you're on um, a ministry team. But beginning the first week in October, we're going to add a third Sunday morning service. Okay. Before COVID, those of you who are new to Grace Point, before COVID, we had three weekend services. When COVID hit, we had no weekend services. Okay, And since then, we've slowly but steadily gotten back to the point where we need that. Um, and if you've, you've been with us over the past couple months, you've felt the squeeze. It's why Jake said what he said uh, during the welcome. It's a little crowded around Grace Point these days, and, and we're not even... This is what you need to know. I know you guys don't think about this because you have jobs and kids and a mortgage to pay, but we're not even really to the peak attendance season for us. And we're already a little bit cramped. And I, if you're a regular around here, I want to talk to you for a second, okay? If, if you're a regular around here, you know how to get through the circus of Sunday morning, 
okay? You know when to get here. You know how to navigate the parking lot. You know how to get your kids and get them checked in. Some of you have trained your eight-year-old to look lost. So they just wander downstairs to their room and you don't have to go check them in, okay? We're watching, we know, okay? <laughs> but there, those of us who are regulars, we can navigate the chaos because we're used to it. But you invite somebody who doesn't know the chaos and, and they got to hug complete strangers in the lobby just to get by them and sit right next to you. You smell great, but they're sitting right next to you. They don't know you. That's a little weird, right? It's just, it's just this, this, this cramping, this, it, it's just, I don't even know the word for it, so I'm going to move on. But we need, we need to create empty seats at optimal times in order to continue to reach the people that we feel like God is asking us to reach. So starting October 2nd, new service times, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15, okay? Now let's just call this out. The optimal service times are 9.45 and 11.15. Everybody's thinking it. Let's just talk about it, okay? Everybody's like, yeah, 9.45, get to sleep in a little bit, hit up Starbucks, yeah, okay? I know that everybody wants to go to 9.45 and 11.15 service. So I'm asking those of you who are regulars. And regular, I mean, if you've been here for more than two years. If you've been here for more than two years, you're a regular. Welcome to Grace Point. Okay? If you've been here for more than two years, you're bought into the mission, I need you to go to the 8.15 service. I, I need you to go to the 18.15 I need you to help us and by us, I don't mean the staff. I mean us as a church. I need you to help us create empty seats at optimal times by attending the 815. And, and if we can get 100 to 120 adults to attend that 815 service, that would be a huge win for us. And yes, there is kids programming at the 815 service. Same kids programming, kids point programming throughout all three service. And listen, I know I'm asking you to adjust your routine and do something new. I'm asking you to change. I get that. <laughs> but here's another way to think about it. What I'm asking you to do is to give up something you like in exchange for something you love. I, I, I know some of you love sleeping in on Sunday morning, especially during the winter. <sighs> so do I. Mm, it's my jam. Love sleeping in when it's cold outside. I know you like that. But I also know you love it when we get to do baptisms and you get to hear stories of how people have been completely changed because of the words and teachings of Jesus, because of what he's done in their life. I know you like your Sunday morning routine. I do too. But I also know you love being a part of something a little bit bigger than just you. I know you like seeing everybody you know and going out to eat and doing whatever people do on Sunday morning. I have no idea because I'm always here, okay? I know you like that. But I also know you love it when people get to experience the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that you've experienced. And so I'm just asking you to give up a little bit of what you like in exchange for something you love. We do it in all kinds of other areas of our life. I'm asking you to do it here. 100 to 120 adults to join us at 815 service. 
we think will create empty seats at optimal times to give us to continue to, to maintain some of the momentum that we've experienced over the past few months and propel us into, fu- into some future steps, okay? I am not asking you to go to 815 service until Jesus comes back, okay? I don't know when, but I don't think this is a forever and ever amen. I think this is a short-term fix until the next thing I'm gonna tell you about, okay? So let's shift without a clutch and go right into the next thing. If you've been around here for longer than three or four years, um, you know the easiest fix for our space issues well, why don't we just build a bigger building? We've heard that a couple times over the last couple months. It's a great idea. In fact, we've been trying to raise money to do just that for years. We've prayed about it. We've, we've done capital campaigns. We have land, 40 acres of land at Huntoon and Urish. You know that we ended our last campaign in October of 2019 and the world lost its mind in March of 2020. So you know all of that. But one of, the, one of my jobs as, as leader is just to define reality for us. And here's the reality. The reality is we don't have enough money to do that right now. We just don't. We have some money in the bank, but what we need to build, what we need to relocate, the price of building and all that, it's, it's just not enough. Yet, yet, if everybody who called Grace Point their church decided to become percentage givers, that would change that would change, and this is the uncomfortable part. I get it, but I gotta say it. And so many of you are so generous. Listen, don't hear me not say what I'm not saying. So many of you, you've given so much over the last couple of years. I'm not here to sound the alarm. I'm not here to guilt you into giving. Listen, I appreciate the guilt offerings, okay? I do. You're walking by the, the gray boxes and you got some pocket lint and a Target gift card and you throw it in there. Appreciate it, okay? but we don't live and die by guilt offerings. Like the reason that we've been able to do what we've done as a church is because there's a group of people, a nucleus of people who've decided to do exactly what my family have done for years and become tithers, percentage givers, who people who decide to give at minimum 10% to Jesus through the local church. You want to talk about being countercultural? That's countercultural. The statistics are pretty regular every, every 20, you know, 20, 30 years. For the last 20, 30 years, the statistics are, are consistent. The average American Christian gives less than 2%. Over and over and over. And I have no idea what the percentage is in our church because I don't know what you make. I'm not going to ask you what you make. I'm not going to ask you what you give because then we'll have all kinds of seats during optimal times, Right? <laughs> That's not what I'm I'm talking about. What I do know is that you're above average. I do know that. I just don't know how far above average. So I just want you to imagine with me for a minute, what would it look like if everybody at Grace Point became a tither? What might we be able to do with that? And I have no idea the answer to that question. I have no idea what it would look like because it's never been done. But what might it look like if we did? If everybody at Grace Point started giving like this, I have not cleared this with the board, but we could start making plans to build tomorrow. (laughs) If we harness the financial horsepower of our church towards that, not forever, but five to 10 years, 
I believe we'd see the vision that we've dreamed about and prayed about and given towards for years become a reality. And, and, and listen, if you don't trust me, if you don't trust us, don't give here. But pick a church to give to. If you don't trust what we're trying to do, that's fine. But pick a church and start giving them 10%. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't Jesus' followers have a plan for how to support the organization that Jesus started and said would never, nothing would be able to stand up against it? Why would Jesus' followers not do that? I don't, I don't get that. And I could say a lot more about that, but that's for another day, okay? Two things. Two things I came to say today. Number one, new service times come in the first week in October, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of your faces at 8.15 on October 2nd. Number two, if we're going to see our vision to relocate to a new facility become reality, this is an all-skate. It's got to be an all-skate. This is your church. You don't have a plan for how you're going to join us financially. Now, now is the time. We need you. And more importantly than that, this is a part of teaching you everything that Jesus taught us. This is part of obeying everything that Jesus taught us. And I want to tell, I want to end with this. I want to tell you what's most exciting to me about these two things. If you really want to know what I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. The thing that excites me about these things and the stuff that we're thinking about and praying about and talking about is they have nothing to do with us. They have nothing to do with us. In fact, the easiest thing for us to do would be to do nothing. Nothing new, nothing different. Because we're full and we're happy and we're paying the bills and our missionaries are getting paid and the staff's getting paid and it's great. If it was just about us, we're good. And listen, if it was just about me, I'm good. Like I do have no burning desire to teach three times on Sunday morning. I'm fine with teaching twice and just managing the chaos. I'm perfectly fine with that. But I am willing to give up something I like in exchange for something I love. I am willing to do that. And I love watching Jesus build his church through you. I love watching Jesus build his church through us. I love the idea of more people in Topeka growing in their relationship with Jesus next year than there are today. I love that idea. I love the idea of getting to baptize people sometime next year that are sitting at home and they don't even know about Jesus. I love that idea. That actually keeps me awake at night sometimes. I love the idea of, what, of, of joining Jesus in what he is doing. And I don't want to see those things happen because of something we did. I want to see it happen because of what God did. So the great thing about these things is that we don't really need to do any of them. We could do without them and still be great. But I want to see what he does if we do. <laughs> I want to I put forward our Sunday best. And that might mean to be about what Jesus is about, and that's the people who don't know yet. We want to make room for them. And then the last thing I'll say, is this. For those of you who've been here for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, some of you have been here since the beginning, I just want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of the thousands of people this church has served. Hundreds of people baptized, the moms and dads that come to me in tears 
because of the environments you've created, because of the environments you serve in, because of the environments you give hours and hours and hours of your time, you don't get paid. We joke about this often. You have the leverage in this deal as a volunteer, right? But thank you. Thank you for helping us create the kind of environments where Jesus shows up and changes people's lives. You've given to those things. You've given up things you like in exchange for things you love. And not every church is willing to do that. But it's allowed us to accomplish things we couldn't do otherwise. So thank you. Thank you for continuing to do this. And as we continue to do this together, our goal is never going to be about getting bigger. But I hope it will always be about getting better. Getting better at lifting up the name of Jesus and getting better at leading people to him over and over and over again. So thank you. Thank you for what you I, I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. <laughs> I really wouldn't. And I can't wait to see what God does next in us and through us. And that's all I got to say about that. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to Peter and revealing to him who you really were. God, thank you for continuing to be active today. You said you would build your church and nothing was going to be able to stop it. And here we are. You're continuing to build. You're continuing to reach. And God, we just, we want to know, we want to see where you're active and we want to join you in that. So God, would you, would you help us to have our eyes open, to have our hearts prepared for how we can join you in that as individuals, as couples, as a family, as a church. And then God, would you, if, if we get going off in some crazy direction, would you bring us back? Would you help us? Would you help us to, to miss out on the, the, the dumb tax? God, would you lead and guide us? Would you lead and guide the leaders of this church? Would you lead and guide the pastors of this church? Would you lead and guide those who serve over and over and over, not for our own good, not for our own glory, but for yours? And it's in Jesus' name, the one who started this, the one who continues to sustain it to this day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges starts next week. We'll see you then.